Welcome to Garden People with your host, Jill Sowards of Violet Ear Studio. Join us each season as we speak with your favorite garden people, designers, florists, growers, naturalists, chefs, artists, and more about how gardens have shaped their lives and informed their work today with seasonal tips, expert recommendations, and lots and lots of plants. To learn more, go to our website at violetearstudio.com. You'll find episode information, our seasonal journal, class list, and seed offerings. Everything you need to start your own garden story. My guest is Jean Scotter, a biodynamic farmer and author and the force behind Fern Vero in Herefordshire in the West Midlands of England. Jane and her work at Fern Vero has been a huge inspiration for me and countless growers and gardeners. Her passion, drive, and love for her land are evident in each crate of Castle Franco. In addition to her cookbook, Jane's relationship with Sky Jindal and Spring Restaurant shows the wonderful partnership between plot and plate and the artistry involved in the growing and making of meals. The gorgeous products of her work also make one of the most compelling arguments for how care for our earth and where our food comes from can be life-affirming in addition to being life-saving. Welcome to the program, Jane. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, indeed. I wanted to begin by just asking you to describe yourself and your work, what it is you do, and how you sort of think of Fern Vero. Okay, gosh. Well, I'm a biodynamic vegetable and flower grower, and I've been doing that for just over 25 years, 26 years, 27th at the end of this year. I'm sort of self-taught, went into the whole business you know very naively have no idea how to grow anything never just grew geranium badly in my London flat but I did know that I wanted to grow nice food it was just the sort of movement in the UK where at the time the movement was going towards organics and obviously I knew that the fresh food just from my upbringing and so on was always better tasting and all those sorts of things and I saw a place that I could sell that produce to people that I knew in London and went from there. It didn't, it worked out that way, but perhaps down a different path. But in the end, that is what I do. I love my farm. I mean, it's not really smart and but it's very beautiful. And I've worked very hard to, to everything I do is, is to improve here. And the improvement is always to plant more to have more diversity in the plants, um, that's both with vegetables and the flowers. And I landscape the farm the whole time. So if we are planting a rose garden or something, it will be placed. It's not just in a straight rose and so on, although I have lots of straight rows for other things. But that's what I want to do um, to add and to leave you know, a, a sort of legacy of this place, which I love very much. Yeah, I like it here very much. It's very nice. Yeah, that's wonderful. And can you describe from Vera a little bit for us sort of the layout and the aspect? I will also link to your website that has some of the photographs from your um, cookbook, which are so beautiful. Well, it's where at the foothills of the Black Mountains and quite a nice shelter spot, thank goodness. Um, otherwise, if it was exposed, uh, sort of literally half a mile down the road, we wouldn't be able to produce what we produce. And the storms would take all my structures and everything. So it's very hilly. So that's very challenging, particularly with tractor driving and especially with uh, vintage tractors and so on. And there's a lot of woodland and there's a lot of water that runs through Fernbarrow. So a Vero, as far as I've ever been able to find out, is a French geological term for split in the land where there is water. So we have about three different streams running through the farm. And of course, that produces spring water, which we do all our irrigation with. 
Um, we pump it up to the highest point of the farm with the solar pump and so on. Lots of woodlands. It's very diverse, again, which is, you know, all the all important thing to allow for all the other inhabitants of a farm, you know, the insects and the animals. It's always a place for everything, but <laughs> providing they're not eating all your crops. Right. Um, <laughs> but you sort of deal with that and as that comes. Yeah, so I've got a large, large polytunnel and a large greenhouse and a propagating greenhouse, which is up by the, the yard of the house, and that's the sort of centre. And then across the road behind me, I've got a sort of two-and-a-half-acre field which has fruit bushes and apple trees and is divided up with those plants into sort of six or seven 80-metre beds in between, and that's where we plant the various things in rotation. And then in front of me, uh, down the yard, we have another sort of six acres. So there's around about, it's actually nine, uh, nine acres. So whatever I've said doesn't add up. Uh, <laughs> so I'm silly. Nine acres. And then down the road, I've got a further six or seven acres where we grow the sort of field scale crops. That's where the straight lines come, you know, row, neat rows of carrots and so on. But here is, in my mind, is like the walled garden. It's a very large walled garden, but all the sort of more delicate things that need water at certain times, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise they don't produce well and things like that. That's all done. Um, that's all here at the farm. Wonderful. Lots and- of greenery. It's a very green area because we have a high amount of uh, rainfall mainly during the winter um, there's a lot of rain and it's not the wettest part of, of Britain but it would be quite high up there um, in the summer we tend to have nice warm spells with not quite enough rain you're always wanting what you haven't got of course Great. <laughs> so yeah that's the lay of the land literally so. wonderful and this was a bare space when you arrived there you had to kind of create a lot of this I think it's history. I mean, in the, the house that I live in is 400 years old mm. and parts of it definitely look 400 years old. <laughs> but with this kind of area, there was lots of what's called small holdings. So places where they did have that kind of acreage and people would, I mean, they would farm quite as a community, really. There's not a big farm. The biggest farm in this area is 150 acres, which mm. is absolutely nothing in the, you know, down the bottom on the flatlands. So people, you know, it's, sheep farming is the main thing here because of the hills and so on, because they, they can cope with that and they can cope with the rainfall and the grass is good for raising them. So it would have been a small holding where you perhaps have a pig and you grow your own vegetables and, you know, it would be enough to be self-sufficient, but not in the way that we all dream of being self-sufficient, but for, out of necessity, you know, yeah. and maybe three or four people would get together, slaughter the pig and share that, and mm-hmm. somebody else would grow the potatoes for the parish, and that sort of thing. But that's the history of how it would be. But it's, it's yeah. a small, small holding, really. Yeah. It was just uh, very run down. The people before had had horses, and, uh, you know, they horses, lovely creatures and so on, but they do deplete the land. They take mm-hmm. them, and, and it was poorly maintained. So, you know, everything that every building and so on or you know greenhouse and so on we actually physically put up ourselves and all the fields had never been plowed in their known history and so you know it was virgin soil really for us and had never had any kind of fertilizers or pesticides applied to it didn't need to have that because it was good enough quality for the animals that were grazing those fields so 
that was a real bonus. And there's lots of very old hedges and hedgerows. So there's plenty for the pollinators and bees and so on. And there's, there isn't any other kind of majorly cultivated land within three mile distance. So it's a very clean area and the water is spring water and, the, and we're quite, we're 700 feet up. So, we're, you know, the air is good as well. So it's a very good place for doing what I do. Although it is considered what's called a less favoured area. So and the government would advise you not to do what I do here. Okay. <laughs> uh, I understand why, but for me, I found that it works to my advantage. But I, but I work that. It's, it's probably my lack of knowledge that makes it work. <laughs> Just uh, the persistence, my persistence yes. really makes it work. Yeah. Yes, dedication. <laughs> and can you take us on your growing journey? Describe what brought you from those poorly grown geraniums to Fernvero? Enjoying food, really. I think that's the main thing. I was brought up very much to enjoy fresh food, you know, on sort of, say, sort of on an Italian sort of style. My parents kind of would spend their money on eating out and things like that. And I've always enjoyed that and I've always worked with food. And so I think that was the main motive. And to live in the countryside. I lived in London for a long time. So, and I had a sort of realisation walking down Shaftesbury Avenue that I wanted to didn't want to live in the city any longer and so that just is all sort of it found me I think rather than me finding it yeah drawn away yeah and your work with Niels Berry did that give you a lay of the land did you know where you wanted to be because of that Yes, it was actually. It was Neil's Yard Dairy. It's called. Forgive me, yes, it was, yes. Okay. I used to come to this area for sort of holidays and things with my children. A, a woman who worked for me, her father had a house two valleys across. Although I travel a lot of Great Britain buying cheese and so on, I you know, covered most of Great Britain mm-hmm. on regular trips to, to buy cheese and stuff. This was, I fell in love with Ireland in a big way. Um, the West Cork kind of area that was too far away for me to go so this was the next best as far as I was concerned and had the same kind of greenness and the same kind of appeal although there was no cheese over here but that's how I I came just Mm. um, being on holiday and yeah finding it through that that, yeah. yeah and can you describe your current distribution and how it changed over time the development of your relationship with the spring restaurant yeah, I mean, at first we were sending, you know, we didn't produce very much at the very beginning, obviously, because it takes a great deal of time to get to a certain point if you haven't got, you know, lots and lots of money to invest in equipment. So I was sending boxes to my old cheese customers, and that was good, and to a couple of restaurants in London. And then that just really sort of seemed to be, it wasn't enough to support us. And so I started going to London. I went first I went to Borough Market in its early days. And then we kind of outgrew that just because it became very touristy and a very different marketplace to to the original idea. And so we moved with some sort of fellow like-minded souls over to Maltby Street mm-hmm. and to Spa Terminus eventually. But I, I was driving down to London every Friday for 15 years. And I got to the point where that was on my wish list, not wanting to do that every single Friday. I never yeah. had any weekends off or anything like that, just didn't exist. So it was just fortunate, really, that Sky Gingell contacted me 
and said, you know, she was opening a new restaurant called Spring and she'd been very inspired by Alice Waters' relationship with Bob Cunard and everything in the farm to table movement, which was happening in the States. This was about seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. And that was just sort of exactly what I wanted to do. And I hadn't met her before. I'd known of her reputation and so on. And particularly with her, you know, the way that she approached vegetables and things, you know, the simplicity and, and the beauty of it. And the beauty is something that really is very important to me. And I think that that is the most, probably the most important thing to keep me doing what I do is the beauty of the vegetables and the beauty of the land and so on. And so we met up and, you know, worked it all out and we've come a long way. There were, you know, difficulties, very, very difficult for a chef to order twice a week. They're so used to finishing service at, you know, midnight or so on and just ordering it and boom, it's there, you know, eight o'clock the next morning. And so, that you know, there's a lot of adapting on everybody's half. And, but since then, I view Sky as a, a very close friend and colleague and somebody that I work with we have a very similar way about us in many ways we're very very different women but we are both devoted to the beauty and the quality and so on and we so we're on the same page there and that I love working with her she's very clever and does things perfectly and that's what I like so she's very very easy for me to work with I just have to find her one or two things that are new and inspiring um, yes and I do I hope I do yeah I think I'd know if I didn't but I wouldn't it's the best thing that's, that's ever happened really it's uh, fantastic it's a great relationship very proud of it that's wonderful and can you describe a little bit of maybe an example of uh, new inspiring things in years past that you developed I think that there are certain things that Sky said no I don't use those at the very beginning and like potatoes she's Australian I don't know if Australians have very much potatoes but I think maybe she wasn't brought up on a sort of more you know the kind of carb diet you know that perhaps an English person was and so but I love potatoes and and I was really oh, okay, I'm not going to grow potatoes. But, you know, she said, we'll just grow a small amount of new potatoes. So, but now I've managed to kind of, because I grow particular varieties and special varieties, that's really sort of happened. And that's, I'm very proud of that. We often look at sort of reinventing things like beans, you know, fresh beans, fresh cannellini and flagellate beans. And, you know, those aren't things that she can buy in London. She can't buy those. So we've kind of tried that and that's been really, really successful. And that's super good for me because they're very good for the land, relatively easy to grow, providing you give them enough water at the right time. So that was, that's been really good fun. And radicchios and stuff, we've tried to also kind of replicate the Italian markets a little bit by, you know, things will come very early in Italy because they don't quite have the, the as harsher winters as us. So try to sort of put what comes in early spring for them, but into sort of late autumn for us. And mm-hmm. that's been quite successful too, with particularly endives and radicchios, chicories and so on. We grow a lot of those things and that's been fantastic. And I know with the Castelfranco, for instance, Sky, you know, she's sort of over the moon. She didn't know that it was a much darker green than this kind of insipid light green that it can be yeah. as a possible thing, just because it has so much, it has to travel so far and all those things. And the, the freshness just being the, the key, really. Yeah, lots of different things and, you know, learning about 
how to use peach leaves and black currant leaves to enhance um, the pastry section at uh, Spring is uh, run by Sarah Johnson, who is an ex-Japanese chef. And I've learned a lot from her too, you know, with flavourings and and how to amazing things like fennel pollen ice cream and fig leaf ice cream, amazing things. Very, very nice. And I go to Spring a few times a year and able to try these things. Yeah, reinventing things and perhaps looking at things in different ways. Parsley, for instance, I remember we had a really good batch of parsley. It was really soft, really beautiful. And then I sort of said, Sky, how about having this parsley and have it as a vegetable instead mm. of a garnish? And so the parsley as vegetable thing came around for a bit. And so, you know, sometimes if I come across something that's growing particularly well or it's unusual, you know, something unusual has happened to it and it's be- and it's really interesting, then I will pass that on to them. And that's, you know, there's been a couple of things that, but no, all the inspiration really is, uh, is there. But I think we inspire each other. Yeah, I'm always, uh, I do try to find interesting things, but I definitely do find interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like such a wonderful exchange. It's very, very much how I think I entered the garden. Even mm. growing flowers was through food, even though I, yes. I didn't stick with yeah. it. It was just that it's a, yeah, you you realize, you learn about that connection and you you want those special things and to see that moment. And, and yeah. it's just sort of, I like to, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at catalogs and trying to find new things. And I've yeah, got a good eye for something, you know, by its shape or its color. I think, ah, oh, that's going to taste really, really good. And so, you know, we'll try it out and usually it works. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's great. And so you are self-taught. Did you have gardens at all when you were younger, even, even no, sort of ornamental? Uh, no, but my mother was brought up in a large garden, but I never joined in any mm. of that sort of thing. I wasn't interested. I don't know. I really was not. I had no idea about any of it. But then, you know, a new interest came. And once I get into something, I get to... I have great persistence and determination to get it right. And, and I love working. So, and I always want to do the best, uh, the best I possibly can. And so I, you know, you know I can't let things lie. So yeah. just in my character, it costs me dearly yeah. <laughs> in other areas. Yeah, but that's, you know, it's what I do. Yeah. Mm. And what brought you to cheese in the first place? I realize I, I maybe don't know this and part of the story. Loved it, of course. Yeah. Uh, cheese. Always love cheese. And I had a friend who knew of Neil's Yard and I needed a job at the time. And so I joined and I really liked the way that that it was being run. And yeah, just fell in love with it again. Just loved the work. Uh, Found it really interesting. And yeah, and it was just such a beautiful product. You know, all everything made there was just insane. It was fantastic. And, you know, we were doing very important work. And Randolph Hodgson, who was my business partner, he made serious changes with legislation and so on. So we did good things. And the industry in Britain was dwindling at the time. And yeah. now it's multi-million pound business selling yeah. it. You know, so they're good. Yeah, yeah, really nice. It was a great time. Really great time. Yeah, had lots of fun. Yeah, it's amazing. And well, I think I'm speaking from Berkeley. So obviously Alice Waters' influence and Bob Kennard's influence is very significant here. But it's amazing how how you hearing you speak of sort of the beauty of the food and sort of that the quality of the product being such an important part of the change, you know, that not, you know, it changes dairy legislation, but it changed treatment of animals, what people expect from that treatment, you know, it's like, it can do so much to have that carrot, as it were. 
it's about wanting to eat the very best. Mm -hmm. And if you produce it in good, clean soil, and, you know, for instance, if you feed animals from the purest and, you know, most beautiful pasture that you can, it's going to taste great. And I know from the milk, you know, uh, meadow-fed uh, cows or you know, whatever are, are you know, that the, the milk's amazing. There's flavours in it. And if it's an unpasteurised cheese that's being produced, then all those flavours come through. And it's the same with the vegetables. Fresh air, sunshine and allowing and seasonality. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about seasonality as being so important. But again, I don't eat any other tomatoes apart from July to September. I I just wouldn't bother because they just don't taste the same. It doesn't, you know, that I always really, really look forward to coming back again. I'm happy for them to go and then to move on to something else. And But, you know, I I don't need to have strawberries at Christmas time, you know, things like that. So I just prefer it to taste really, really good and not have anything really. Just not for the sake of having something. Right. Well, it's the, it's almost, you say strawberries at Christmas, it's almost the, an adult version of that Christmas surprise when the asparagus returns, you know, it's, a, it's that joy in your life when it really comes nice. back and yeah. you, you know, yeah, it's, it's in really its nice. moment. And I, and I, you know, and flowers are a big part of what we do here and people say, oh, what's your favorite flower? And I, and I go this, and, and it's always, when I say that, it's always the one that's around at the moment. Yes. It's like, we're just today, we're just, next week we will be in Tulip City. And it's Julie's my favourite, Julie's my favourite. And then I'll get sick of them. And then uh, they'll be gone. I'll like sweet peas. And then I'll like the roses. And then I'll like the hot colours of the, of the late late summer and so on. You know, it's just, but then I'll be really dying to see the tulips again. I mean, yeah. tulips are so special because you come out of the grey of winter and yeah. boom, all this colour that's there. It's really, you know, it's fun to, to harvest and people absolutely love them. So that's really good as well. Yeah. But it's, yeah, to have things grown in as naturally as possible as I was looking at some freesias the other day and there is a really really old-fashioned flower that's kind of gone out of fashion and people don't want so I love to kind of think okay I want to grow that properly yes growth in cooler climates than it you know because it is it likes a cool season mm-hmm. but everything is pushed to be first and so on and so there's heated greenhouses involved and so but the quality of this particular flower, you know, hugely long stem, sort of uh, probably 15 inch stem. And just the vibrancy and the character of it was so different to anything you'll see wrapped up in a super, you know, in the garage yes. nearby that, you know, for Mother's Day or something. But then they're super, super special. It's because they're allowed to sort of grow slowly, mm-hmm. grow at their own pace, put up with the coldness of winter, and it makes them stronger. That makes them smell better too. Everything works harder to survive without a, the sort of cushioning of, of modern growth. I understand why we have to have all these things. Well, I don't understand quite so much for flowers, but for vegetables, I do understand. People you know, want things and we all have to eat and so on. But if you just stick to proper seasonality and grow things in a more natural way outdoors in the fresh air, then they will always taste better. Absolutely. And were flowers always part of the Fernvera plan or did Not you? so much. No, it's never really the plan. But then I, you know, with the beauty of the vegetables and so on, I just kind of just went towards flowers and then, okay, I don't have time to have a hobby. I don't have time to grow flowers. Uh, so I have to turn it into the business. So mm-hmm. like 
do whatever I want. So it did, and it's really grown a lot, and particularly say in the last couple of years mm-hmm. with Brexit and all that sort of thing, where yeah. all you know, and there's been this move towards not um that the Dutch flowers are mm-hmm. so generic and you know florists and things are looking for character and so on. And whether that lasts or not, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. I think it will last as long as people are caring about where they're not just where the food comes from, when the flowers come from, and that, you know, my flowers are organic flowers, or I don't sell them as that, but they are. And, you know, as long as the price is not so much more than the Dutch flowers, then, you know, uh, it is, I think, something which will continue. Um, Yeah. And it sounds like you maybe don't have a private garden space, but do you have any private garden time that you take on the farm? Not really. No, it's always about the growing and the farming, private time for that. I guess, I mean, what my private time probably is I, most Sundays I walk the whole farm to kind of create the, the work list and some, mm-hmm. you know, various of what we're going to do the following week. But I do take that nice and slowly and I take pictures of whatever I see. And that's sort of quite relaxing for me. And I like to maybe pick flowers for my house on that mm-hmm. day. And I find that relaxing. But sometimes if it's sort of work, this thing, I see a little bit more work than I think that we can cope with. So I run back into the house and leave it for another day. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, you know, you only see the work sometimes. But yes. other times you see the work that we have done and how fantastic everything is. Um, and that's just really great. That's the buzz for me. I just want it to be well looked after and, you know, as beautiful as it can be. And not everybody should be exhausted by, you know, having done it. So, right, yeah. right. Sounds like a good ethos. <laughs> we try. And I was introduced to biodynamic farming prior to your book coming out, but your cookbook, I think, really made it. I know it wasn't intended as guide necessarily, but I think it made it this the tracking the seasons with an actual farm. It was actually really helpful. Yeah. And um and seeing that beauty. And so I wanted to speak a little bit about biodynamic farming. Well, you know, the reason that the book was not about biodynamics, because it, it's such a massive subject. Yes. It's a big subject, and it's it's not a complicated subject. It's a very simple subject. But our understanding is, uh, in our contemporary worlds is not the same as how biodynamics works. So understanding it can be quite complex, I guess. And the language yeah. is unusual language for talking about, uh, you know, planetary influences and so on that what do you mean planetary influences and so once you start to get into it and you understand it and you uh, relate to it that's when it all kind of makes sense and that's how you can so yeah we again as I you know said before you know wanted to do the very best that I could I'd known about biodynamics before from my cheese days but not not in detail but when we were looking for a certification body the Biden position was by far the most helpful and the most friendly and once we sort of looked into that and we went to a couple of farms and, and had a look and you know there was something very very extra special mm. about it and I liked the idea of taking other things into consideration whilst mm-hmm. gardening and whilst thinking about it and I I do feel for me that because of that approach and because of that simplicity of thing, it makes it's quite it's a very humbling thing. And that does help you through things where it's really, really difficult, where you feel it's really difficult. The weather's, you know, not doing what it ought to be doing, all this sort of thing. And you just think, well, actually, you know, I don't have a great deal to worry about. It will pass. And 
I'm sort of much more patient about it now than I used to be. But it still sort of stressed me if it rains too much, if it's too sunny. I'm always wanting the other thing and it, you're very impatient for that. But I sort of learned that I know that with any extreme weathers and things, that something will benefit. And that's always a really nice surprise. So you have to accept that. But biodynamics helps me to understand that. And I do try to put that into other things in my life, but I don't always succeed. But it's a very nice way of approaching work, you know, work where you're, I feel that I'm artistically involved in it and spiritually up to a point. I'm not a I don't sort of think about it in that way at the time. I, you know, I like to, I like all aspects. I like running the business. I like spreadsheets. I like the beauty of the farming. I like weeding. I like it, like it all. It's not sort of just, doesn't have to be one way, you know, so I like to be, and I like it to be something that's approachable to people who don't understand it. Yeah. And you can just do it. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think the key component in my mind is the division of days and that there are certain times based on those, those planetary aspects, certain times that you approach or work on certain plants. And yeah. I was wondering, because they change, it's not every Tuesday is a flower day, right? Oh, yeah. You have the, the market forces around you. Um, so I was wondering how closely you're able to adhere to the calendar. And then if you can't, do you do anything? Like sometimes I'll admit if I have to sow something that isn't, you know, on a not flower day, I'm like, well, I'm growing it for the roots right now because it's a, you know, it's a perennial, so it will flower the root same day, anyway. A, yeah. root day, a root day is always your compromise. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, root day, pretty much anything, because you always want to, it's the part of the plant that you wish to enhance. Yeah. So if you want to grow beautiful roses, then you, grow, you do that on a flower day. If you want beautiful carrots, that's a root day. But I would say that sowing is the most important to get on the right day. And waiting a few days, I don't think in, you know, weeks is a different thing, but waiting a few days to get it on the right day is worth doing. Mm -hmm. The next one for me is cultivation. I think we cultivate probably, well, we sow, I would say we sow 99% of the time on the right day. And cultivation, I often use a root day because because sometimes that has to be a really practical thing. So I have a, a tractor that does weeding in particular. And if those weeds really need knocking down, the weather's hot, two days later, it's going to rain. I need to do it now. So we'll go out and do that. The one I avoid mostly is flower day or fruit day. I wouldn't go anywhere near any leaf crops on those two days. And I rarely do. It would be really, really unusual if I did do that. And then planting. Planting is, that is the third one, really. You try to plant on the right day, but then if we've got sort of uh, 300 module trays to plant of brassicas and, and it's dry and there's going to be rain the next day and then no rain for ages, I will plant the day before so that it saves hours of work. And yeah, I compromise because life is a compound. That, again, is a simple thing. It hasn't have to be rigid. Nothing about it is rigid because nothing is rigid plan so the compromise is fine and I you know if we planted perhaps on the wrong day we go ahead and and make up for it by cultivating on the right day I think that's how it works you know it's just how you one goes about one's life isn't it you know small compromises but you try to stick to the plan mostly yes. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's, very, that's very helpful yeah. that's great mm. Do you know almost the calendar without any 
additional resources? Do you use one of those oh, no, biodynamic apps? <laughs> I do. I love yeah. my biodynamic app. I love yeah. anything app-wise, but I have a work list next to me and I have two weeks ahead of time. And when I plan the work, I go, okay, well, we can wait till then and shift it there. And the unfavorable days, you know, with black line days, unfavorable right. days, we will always put in, that's when we tidy the shed. This is when mm-hmm. we do when we do that so lots of work but something's in trouble then we will always step forward and take care of it at that point but no I don't know in sync and I can't naturally the calendar you know from the symbols and so on that's not something that I can do so no um the planting calendar and the app is always by my side but I always know which day it is yeah Uh, just that's one of the first things I, I sort of have the whole week in my head all the time but you know I might after the fifth day I might not know what it is right (laughs) and and one of the things that I think is so interesting about I guess Rudolf Steiner's lectures where the biodynamic farming came from which in turn was from traditional agriculture before that right how frequently it is reinforced or proven I guess I don't know how if you prove something you have already observed but proven scientifically so it's like the fact that they encourage the use of spring water or rainwater and that we now yeah. know that that's a more structured water and that sort of thing. I was wondering if you had any anything that you noticed in that way that you sort of were already aware of or surprised. Um, no, I think the cultivation for me, the seed sowing, I haven't really seen, you know, I mean, there are people like Maria Tun herself who translated the calendar for us originally. She, you know, spent her whole life experimenting and sewing on the wrong day to produce ugly radish. You know, it's not my interest. Somebody has to do it. But people have proven that, say, carrots and so on have a quality about them, which is a keeping quality, which is, you know, usually about the sugar levels in the crop. And that also brings taste and so on. So people have done all sorts of things like that. But for me, I find that cultivating on the right day, I'm a big cultivator. I'm not a, you know, no dig Uh, type of grower and for for my soil it likes to be cultivated I find that I can cultivate and use the biodynamic preparations and so on and the next day there is visible vitality added to the vegetables and the flowers from that just being at the right time yeah I see that very strongly and other people see that I've worked I work with a hotel called Heckfield Place in just outside London and I helped them to convert the estate and the market garden and so on to biodynamics and there were people there that you know weren't really sure about it all and you know after they had done the same things they even a sort of a very so-called conventional farmer with a very stubborn fella <laughs> he definitely noticed the improvement over a couple of years after the use of, of biodynamic preparations on his land and biodynamic considerations yeah. so it does work and yeah lots of people have done the science and you know the wine trade is you know has yeah. proven you know, because their goal is taste in the end and right. all these sorts of things. And yeah, and there have been, you know, people who have measured important things, you know, sugars and so on and other elements within vegetables to be of better quality. Right, right, yeah. As in, you know, true quality of what makes up a, the numbers for it to be good. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm not a big scientist. I like it. I'm glad somebody else is doing it, but it's not yeah. my thing I do enjoy it I like hearing about it but it's yeah not I am drawn to to do no. myself yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're eating it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. yeah. Yes, I like yes. it 
Right. It's interesting you say that about uh, No Dig. I was curious about that. And also the, because Alan Chadwick, the father of the movement in the U.S. or sort of brought it in many ways to us, he uses the example of a more plant life growing where there is you know, any sort of subsistence. So a little like a mudslide or something after that disturbance, there's more like on the sort of fall line, there's more growth. And so far, yes. it's an interesting, and I guess some would say, oh, but those could be weeds, you know, but it's an interesting. I think it's difference. really interesting. And you know, when yeah. I talked about virgin soil, there is nothing like crops grown out of newly plowed, never planted with vegetable crop, uh, there's something about it. Um, You know, you don't have to apply a lot of manure and you couldn't possibly apply the so-called certain amounts, but the first year we did Heckfield, for instance, I mean, when I did Fern Barrow, I didn't really know. The quality was, so it was going to be great anyway, because that's seeing life through rose-tinted glasses. Right. <laughs> at Heckfield, you know, to, you know, massive cauliflowers, big as your head, and, you know, in that first year, and it was just, the land is amazing, but it's actually very poor land, you know, but, and now it's kind of just running out of juice, just a tiny bit, so all the work that we've been doing on the soil in the last four years or so, that, you know, that's very necessary now to yeah. keep that good, but, you know, it's super interesting. I think, land you just want to grow things you know mm-hmm. yeah no it's very interesting there's nothing like a new field um yeah. plant things in it's lovely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what if anything or anyone influences your work today do you still it sounds like the spring the relationship with spring and possibly Heckfield place too but anything yeah. else that you are watching or drawing from I enjoy the artistry of the florists that I work mm-hmm. with I like that very much. I like to see people who produce something in the way that they care for it so much. And it's the same way that I do. I once said some terrible, I've always been teased for the comment that, you know, we're being interviewed, I think, by Jane Gregson. She says, who are your customers? And, oh, we only grow for people we like. And, and I've always been teased for saying that. But it's kind <laughs> of, it's kind of, it is true for me, you know, if just to see it, you know, with skies cooking, you know, the simplicity of it. And how she puts almost a leaf on a plate and the way that she builds what she, you know, she calls a salad, you know, she builds it like scaffolding, she says. Mm -hmm. And the shapes and the contours of the vegetables, you know, which will hold certain types of dressings. I mean, it's just amazing to, and it just brings out the very, very, very best of that vegetable or fruit or whatever. And it's usually so, so simple, but it's just about thinking about it and caring about it so much. That's the thing. Yeah. And when you were first entering the farming world, was there something that you were really excited to grow? Was there something that kind of in your mind, that was your row that you sort of envisioned? I think potatoes was one thing I had. I hadn't tasted a really nice potato since being really young. And they were always really horrible, really up till then. And I just wanted to often, you know, how taste can hold your memories, yes. you know, you hold it as a memory. And once you try something, you just can't have it any other way. So I grew the potato that I always looked, you know, kind of remembered as a child. So those things. And it is nothing like, I think cucumber, I think that was a really big one, a fresh cucumber mm-hmm. out of the greenhouse. And it's juicy. And, you know, you don't have juicy cucumbers yeah. you have to you know mush them up to get juicy but and the flavor is so incredible when it tastes like a strong flavor instead of a kind of weak insipid sort of thing that you know you might get from somewhere else yes so, well there are lots of things but maybe I've been doing it a long while now and so it's sort of I'm more used to it now but when I 
you know, I can recognize my produce on a plate and I can recognize when it isn't even, you know, more so, you know, if, the, yeah. if deliveries got mixed up somewhere, you know, so, but these are your, those aren't my, I don't grow that color. They don't, mine don't grow to that color, you know, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. When your children were younger, did you include them at all in the gardening aspect yeah. of, of your work? Did they garden with me? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, poor things. No, poor thing. Terrible time, really. Well, I think it's not just the gardening. It's probably me just working all the time and so yeah. on. They're very pleased now, I believe, you know, and proud of the achievement and so on. But at the time, no, thank you. They just, yeah. you know, no holidays in the summer. And, you know, right. it wasn't great. No, but it is what it is. All is fine. Yeah. Yes, yes, good. <laughs> well, and in the spring season, what do you see and what are you sort of responding to making use of what is coming up for you? What's coming up right now? Well, we're just on the cusp. Um, so we've had a lot of rain recently and my land is is heavy, you know, heavy soil and takes a good while to dry out and so on. And so, but the weather forecast is very good. Today we've had lots of rain and we've got, you know, 10 days of not too warm, but just literally perfect. Mm-hmm. So I feel that we're going to start planting quite soon or getting the land ready for sure. We've got things um, coming along, you know, various flowers and you know, the beginnings of uh, spring lettuces and radishes and all the tomatoes and the peppers and aubergines is that all sown. So we're about to really you know, uh, get going. So I'm just trying to, you know, get the final kind of tidying up jobs done. But we're ready for it. It's just waiting, observing, and just you know, b- being ready to get on with it. Uh, you know, tractors, you know, service and so on. Everything's ready, so that we can just uh, crack on with it. And an early start is good because it sort of spreads it all out a little bit more. It's a late start is is tricky because it concentrates all the work, and you know, it's stressful. But yeah, um, tulip season is just about to start and Narcissi and that's a nice time and a good start for us and a, and a good injection of money, which is really needed at this time of year. Yeah. Mm. And I know you don't have favorites, but would you mind uh, sharing <laughs> a, yeah, a few a few favorites of maybe some, uh, since again, your plant list is always so wonderful. The variety. Your, yes, the variety for your tulips. I love, I think my favorite tulip is brown sugar. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful kind of copper color, really tall and it's scented. It's really fantastic. That's always with me. I always have that one. Others, I, I'm very fond of these very soft lilac colors at the moment. Very mm-hmm. fond of those. Always trying to find the perfect one. The very perfect red is yes. hard to find, but red impression. Hard. One of my favorites mm-hmm. at the moment. Vegetable wise, I love growing radicchio a lot. Again, I think it's beautiful colours that I have. Castel Franco, I like growing that. I have many favourites. I buy quite a lot from Johnny Seeds in the States. Uh, Fiero, there's beautiful pink one now. That's really good fun. It goes sort of pink and then with the cold of, of England, of what you kind of get these rather bronze, bronzy mm. pink colours. Just amazing. And lettuces, I love growing lettuce and I love growing beans. Yes. I like it all. I like yeah, it all. Yeah. I think my least favorite is leeks, although I like eating leeks. I hate digging leeks. Yes. It's always cold and wet and it's hard work. Yeah. yeah. But that's always my job. All it beats, you know, digging leeks. Um, right. you know, I always say that's my least, that would be my joker, not to ever have to plant or anything. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
everything else I'm quite happy with so long as it you know is behaving itself right and because farming is so demanding I was curious to know you've been doing this for a very long time how you've managed to do it so long without burning out which is it sounds like it's very common in, yeah. in sort of I the think uh, I think maybe I have burnt out quite mm-hmm. a bit really but I think that again it's the will and determination mm-hmm. and having good people to work with and yeah. I have a lot of really good people and machinery you just you know you can't knock it really weeding machines we've had a weeding machine which is a tractor driven what a single person tractor driven um, Mm. machine and that has really changed things you know because labor it's very physical hard work Mm. and I have lots of volunteers because I need to have that and people often come with a very romantic vision of the work and it is romantic and it is beautiful and it is lovely but it is really hard work and there isn't this thing well I would do it tomorrow you know, if it's harvest day, we have two harvest days a week. And if it's harvest day, whatever the weather, we have to be out there and we have to do it. And we just try to always, you know, again, to make the best of that and compromise. And if I can see that the weather's coming, you know, maybe we'll just get a couple of things in that won't uh, deteriorate quickly, you know, root things or something, just to sort of lighten the load. But yeah. no, burnt out. Yeah, no, I don't know. They probably wouldn't have it any other way anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Full time. <laughs> And then based on your experiences, how do you think we can bring more people into the garden? What worked for you? I think people want to anyway. There's definitely movement over here of uh, enjoying. I think, you know, the therapeutic side of it is you can't argue with that. There is something, and I've, you know, written articles and been interviewed before and about how people can be more involved. You just have to get on and do it. Even if you've got like a little small balcony or something, you can do something. And the joy, and I know the joy because I still have it, the joy of eating something that you've grown yourself. And it's always the best you've ever seen in your life, obviously. That goes through you and, you know, it gives you pleasure in many ways. And it's an achievement and it's a meditation as well. So, you know, you're often on your own with your own thoughts and so on and looking at lovely things and, you know, working with the soil. And that was very giving, you know, in so many ways. So I think it's just do it. And the other thing is, you know, people don't pay enough. I mean, you do in the States, I believe that you do. But in this country, you know, we don't pay enough for really good food. It's not something in our culture. You know, we've always, food has to be cheap. But, you know, what I do, it really, on we make a living, yes, but it wouldn't be sort of an accountant's idea of making a living. And it's so volatile. And really, the price of food is ridiculous. You know, when you hear about the cost of things, how can anyone do that for that for 50 pence for a lettuce? How can anyone do that? But, you know, the scale and all sorts of things. But you do need to control the weeds and the pests and so on so that you have a good crop. We all want it to look perfect. We don't want the lettuce with all the holes over it, you know. So, yeah, I think paying a little bit more and buying from farmers is really good. But gardening, just, yeah, just do it. It is get your boots on and get out there and yeah. and enjoy it. And I think people really do you know really do they get and it's not just sort of you know something for the retired people the young people that come through here that's seriously passionate about doing something decent and I have one girl's favorite job is turning the compost so she's back from a holiday next week and that's what she's going to do she goes yeah. back. <laughs> uh, but it's really heavy work and it's a bit smelly you know at the beginning and very nice yeah lots of things I think it's um 
it's not for everybody, you know, the dirt side of it, I suppose, for being dirty is something that people don't like. But with everything that's happened, you know, with COVID and so on, it just shows that we need a little bit of that really to keep healthy. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of people have, well, I certainly know from you know trying to buy seeds and so on, there's a lot of people who are gardening now. Yes. So it's definitely on trend. And I don't think it'll go away. And the health benefits are numerous. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I loved your book and I just learned so, so much from you. So this is especially, and I continue to work and develop my own biodynamic gardening, but you've been such an inspiration. So so thank you so much. You're most welcome. That's very nice. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Garden People is produced with generous support from our sponsor, Plant Gem. Plant Gem sells unique plants you won't find anywhere else for a garden that reflects your personal style. Find them at www.plantgem.com. As always, thank you for supporting the companies that support this podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you left a review as it helps other garden people find us. You'll find links for everything we've discussed in the show notes or on our website. To get early access to our guest list and information about bonus episodes, gardening tips from our guests, and more, Sign up for the newsletter at violetearstudio.com.